Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Let's go to the book of Luke, the book of Luke and uh, chapter number six today. Luke chapter six this morning. As we continue this series, Encountering Christ, which is just uh, recognizing the possibilities of a life with Jesus. And we've been learning a lot through this series. We'll give a short recap in just a minute. As we get started today, uh, you ever seen those videos or maybe you've seen the illustration about, about common items and that moment that they become a rare item or an uncommon item? For instance, this morning, uh, you've heard the illustration, you've probably seen it. If I had a basketball today, if I had a basketball and it was a brand new, nice basketball and, and I played one game with that basketball and I won and then I took that basketball and I signed the basketball and I gave it to you as a gift, what would you have? You would have a cheap basketball. You'd have a basketball that's ruined by my signature. It wouldn't be worth anything. It would be worth whatever you could probably sell it at a yard sale. That's what it'd be worth, 50 cents, maybe a buck. But if we took that same basketball and let Michael Jordan play a game, and then we had Michael Jordan sign it and he gave it to you as a gift, now you have a very expensive basketball. Now you have a basketball that's probably gonna be put in a trophy case and it's gonna be worth up near thousands of dollars. There are some signed basketballs that I read about one that's worth $8,000 that just because it's been dribbled by Michael Jordan and signed by Michael Jordan. We could say the same thing about a football. If I took a football and I threw you a touchdown pass in a game and we won the game and I signed it and gave it to you, all you would have is a football. But if Peyton Manning signed a football, and gave it to, I had to, I had to choose Peyton Manning. You think I would choose somebody else? Come on, come on. If he signed a football and gave it to you, man, you'd have a football that would be worth thousands of dollars. You could go down the line. You could talk about golf and a golf ball and Tiger Woods signing it. You could talk about a hockey puck and Wayne Gretzky signing a hockey puck and I don't know any other hockey players, but uh, you could go to soccer and you have uh, uh, different soccer players that could sign a soccer ball, a real football, and they give it to you. Man, it's gonna be worth a lot of money. You could go down the line and talk about this with really anything, couldn't you? I mean, let's take a musical instrument. There's a guitar right there. I don't know whose guitar that is. It's Noah's or Brian's or somebody's. If I took that guitar and I played something on it and I signed it and I gave it to you, you know what you'd have? A ruined guitar. But for those of you that are old enough, what if you had a guitar signed by none other than Elvis? Hey, listen, if you had a, if you had a guitar signed by Elvis, that's worth something. You see, it's not the football or the basketball or the golf ball or the guitar that is, those are just common items. It's someone who adds their signature to it to cause it to be uncommon. There's a moment, there's a point when that which is common becomes rare and it's usually attributed to one person's signature. As we come back into the book of Luke in chapter number six this morning, 
we're going to talk about times when the common becomes the uncommon. But before we get there, let's recall and remember just what's taking place in our passage. Of course, in the book of Luke, Luke writing to Theophilus, uh, uh, some sort of magistrate, some sort of dignitary, and he writes to him saying, I'm going to recount to you the life of Jesus Christ and prove to you from the personhood, the deity of Jesus, and prove to you from the power and the miraculous working, the deity of Jesus. And basically, Luke is writing to say, I am writing to show you that Jesus is, in fact, the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so what does he do? Well, we've already traveled with Luke as we go through the early childhoods, uh, the, the birth of Jesus and then the childhood of Jesus. And then we enter into his earthly ministry. In chapter three, we see his heritage and his history. But from chapter four all the way to chapter number seven, we begin to dive into the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And we, we witness as he begins to work some incredible miracles. And we, we uh, kind of peer in as Jesus heals a paralyzed man and a, a demon-possessed man. And Pastor Brian last week helped us understand that the, there was an entourage that followed Jesus. We've talked about this. There's a group of people that have followed Jesus extensively. In that group of people were real followers. There were people who were there just to watch something take place. There were skeptics. But then in that group, there were Pharisees. And if you were here last week in the service, then you listened as, as Brian broke down the, the Pharisees and gave us a great understanding of who the Pharisees are and, and all of the laws that they add and, and everything that they did. And we witnessed last week as uh, we, were, we were exposed to Jesus working two miracles on two different Sabbath days and, and how Jesus was trying to help the Pharisees understand, hey, you're focusing on all of the stuff, but you're missing the person. And if you weren't here last week, I'd say go back and listen to the message and, and learn about lordship versus legalism. And, and all of the understanding of what the Pharisees were pushing upon the people. Well, Jesus comes on the scene and he's teaching something different. And so the Pharisees, they hate it. So we've been seeing as Luke has been enhancing for us the, uh, for lack of better terms, the persecution that Jesus is facing because of the Pharisees. But regardless of the Pharisees, Jesus' ministry continues. <clears throat> And as we come to our passage this morning, we're going to see that ministry continue through a few different stories, a few different things that we read. But as we talk about the theme of the message today, we talk about that time when the common becomes uncommon, I want to give you one statement that we're going to continually come back to, and I want you to, to mark the, write this statement down or write it on the, on the, on the content of your brain, the, the, on your heart, something today of this thought, that when God gets involved in anything, when God gets involved, the common becomes the uncommon. Just as a signed guitar by Elvis goes from being a common guitar to an uncommon guitar or a basketball or football or whatever, even more so when Jesus, when God shows up in any area of your life, the common becomes the uncommon. That's the theme we're going to witness this morning as we look at Luke chapter number six, beginning in verse number 12. I'd invite you, if you would, to stand with me if you're able, just for a moment as we read together just seven verses today, eight verses this morning. From Luke chapter 6, verse number 12 to verse number 19, it says this, And it came to pass in those days that he, Jesus, went out into a mountain to pray. 
And he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them, he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Who were those men? Well, Simon, whom he also surnamed or named Peter. Andrew, his brother. James, John. Philip, Bartholomew. Matthew, Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the zealot, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. And he, Jesus, he came down with them, those 12, and he stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples, and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and all Jerusalem, and from the sea, from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, they came to hear him, and and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed or possessed with unclean spirits, they were healed. Verse 19. And the whole multitude, the whole multitude sought to touch him. They wanted to experience him. For because there went out virtue, there went out miraculous power out of him. And he, Jesus, healed them all. When God gets involved in something, the common becomes the uncommon. We're going to see that through a few lessons today, four lessons we're going to learn from the passage before us, and each one of them teaches us that when God gets involved, the common becomes the uncommon. And here's where we're going to end today. We're not ending yet, but here's where we're going to end. In your life, in your life, God still wants to change the common to the uncommon. God still wants to work and cause you and I as common individuals to be uncommon people used by him and for him. And I, I've been helped by this passage and I believe you will as well. Let's pray and then we'll jump right into it. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you, in just the quietness of the moment, would you pray and ask the Lord to help you today, to help you to hear from him and to help you to respond to him today. Dear Lord, we thank you again for this day. Thank you for the word of God and how you use it in each of our lives. I pray that you would help us, Father, to realize the truths that you have for us today, that we would see that you desire to take our common lives and create something uncommon and of value to you. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, just speak if there's anyone that's here or does not, uh, or maybe online that does not know you as their savior. I pray today be the day they put their faith and trust in you. We love you. Bless our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> We've mentioned this a couple of times, and I, I, um, I want to do this today because of just kind of giving all of us context and background. Remember Luke, why he's writing. We've already covered that. But here's what we need to know. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, of those four authors, Luke and Mark, so the two right in the middle, they did not travel with Jesus. They were not apostles. Now, there may have been a time, I believe there was a time in Luke's ministry when he actually was traveling a little bit with Christ, but they weren't apostles. They weren't listed in the 12. The only two that wrote gospels is Matthew and John that are listed in those 12. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But the reason I say all of that 
is to help us understand that every gospel is trying to point out something different. And we won't go through all of those things today, but when you look at what Luke is writing, of all the gospels, Luke's gospel is the most um, congruent with the time of Jesus Christ, meaning he goes along kind of with how the order of events took place. But there's portions of Luke's gospel like as was mentioned last week and we're seeing this week, that we know it took place during the first year, year and a half of Jesus's ministry, but we don't know when it took place. Those of you that were here last week, Pastor Brian highlighted two Sabbath days, right? There was a Sabbath day where the uh, disciples picked some, some corn and ate that, picked some wheat from the field and ate that. And then there was a Sabbath day where Jesus healed a man that was lame. And so, but what we read there, we don't know if it was the Sabbath day and then the next week. We don't know if it was two Sabbath days that were completely different. We don't, we don't know. We just know that these stories took place on a Sabbath day. As you come to this passage, We don't know exactly when in the order of events this took place. We just know it did in the first year of Jesus's ministry. Why is that important? Because Luke helps us understand the first year of Jesus's ministry, Luke summarizes in a few different places in Luke chapter four through chapter number eight. One of those places is Luke 440. This would be kind of a summary of of an event that took place in Jesus's life, but really of the early ministry. Now, when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick and diverse with diverse diseases brought them unto him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Why are we highlighting this? Jesus's first few years of all of his ministry, but specifically the first year and a half, Jesus was extremely busy. (laughs) He was becoming well-known. Now, why do I highlight this? Because I think Mark summarizes it well when he quotes Jesus as saying this, the son of man has come not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You know what that verse teaches us is Jesus, he came to serve. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Now, why am I highlighting this? As I was studying this week, I came to verse 12, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. But this verse came to my mind, that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And here's the question I asked myself. Am I busy serving others like Jesus did, or am I busy serving my own agenda? This really doesn't have a lot to do with the message. It's just kind of a thought that that I just felt we needed to have today is this simple truth. As you and I go throughout the days, we can choose to serve ourselves or we can choose to be like Jesus and serve others. And I hope that you and I, maybe that's the one thing you'd walk away with today is God helped me this week to choose to serve people just like you did. Well, Jesus is serving, he's being involved in all of this. And here's what takes place in the passage. Mark chapter, or Luke chapter number six 
Tells us in verse number 12 that Jesus, he's been serving, been busy, so what does he do? He separates himself. He goes into a mountain. He spends the whole night praying and talking with God. And of course, we highlighted that a few weeks ago, that Jesus' custom during a busy season was to get away. And if Jesus can get away and spend some time with the Lord, you and I can get away and spend some time with the Lord. It's a good thing to be able to take a break and rejuvenate and focus on the Lord again. And I think we should have that every week where we have part of the week that's just set aside like a day off, you know, like a Sabbath. Pastor Brian talked a lot about that last week if you're here. Uh, You know what? Having a day off, a day of rest, a day where we just set it aside to say, God, this day is going to focus on rejuvenating, re-encouraging me in my prayer life with you. Jesus did that. So he spends time in prayer up on a mountain. And the Bible tells us in verse number 13, it helps us see the context as he's coming down from the mountain. He is joined by his disciples. We don't know what mountain he was on. Maybe it was Mount Arbel. We know he's probably in that northern region of Israel, still in the Galilee area. Maybe it was another mountain that was close to there. But if you went to that northern region of Israel, you'd see mountains all around. Jesus goes up on one, prays. He comes down and he joins himself with the disciples. Do you see it in verse number 13? As he's coming down, those that came unto him were his disciples. Now, we have to define some terms. The term disciple in scripture, it means student or learner, or we would use the word follower. If I were to say to you, who were Jesus's disciples? Because of our American Christianity and kind of what's been passed down, we only think of, well, Jesus only had 12 disciples. No, Jesus had hundreds of disciples. As a matter of fact, if you claim Jesus as your savior and you want him to be a part of your life and you follow him each and every day, you know what you are? A disciple of Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. So Jesus comes down and multitudes of his disciples, a lot of followers are there. And the Bible tells us in the story that what he does is he selects out 12 of them. And he says that they're going to be an apostle. Now, what's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? All right, a disciple is just a follower. An apostle is a delegate or one who is empowered or a messenger or a sent one. Jesus chooses out 12 men. They're apostles. Now, very quickly tell you this, that apostles, there was a qualification to be an apostle. What are the qualifications? They're listed listed for us in scripture. A few different places. You can go and do a study on it. Number one, they had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Number two, they were directly called by Jesus or chosen by Jesus. And number three, they demonstrate signs of true apostleship. What is that? Well, Jesus gave the apostles the ability for signs and wonders because he wanted them to be able to validate their message. And you can go and you can read about that in, uh, in Mark's gospel very extensively. You say, Pastor, why, are we, why do you tell us this? Because in our day, there are no apostles. There's nobody who qualifies as an apostle. It was these 12, and then Judas Iscariot was removed and added in Luke or in Acts chapter number one as Matthias, and then Paul called himself the apostle born out of due time, and you can witness his uh, experience in Acts chapter number nine and read more about that as you travel through Paul's life. Pastor, why say this? Because we need to realize that if anybody ever gets up before you and they say, I am an apostle of God, I'm not trying to be mean, but that doesn't go with this. There are, no, there are no apostles. There are disciples. You and I are disciples. 
But there's no, according to scripture, the apostles are passed off the scene. I love how one man summarized it when he said this, today we do not need apostles. We do not need further apostolic revelation and we do not need confirming signs. Why? Because we have something more sure. We have the word of God. Man, there is so much to validate who Jesus is and we do that through scripture. And so I just wanna highlight this morning that there are no apostles and Jesus, he chose, in this passage, he chose these 12. Now let's take for just a minute, let's look at these 12. They had varied backgrounds in just about every area. Their employment, their career, their temperament, their heritage, their hometown, their family situations, all different men. Let's kind of look through them real quick. Peter. Peter, Simon Peter. Who is Peter? Well, brother of Andrew. Peter is uh, the aggressive fisherman from Capernaum. How would we uh, summarize Peter? Eager, bold, impulsive. He acted too quickly, often spoke too much, and in scripture at times failed miserably and seems to be very impulsive. Peter was always the leader. He was always in charge. He was always the first one. Peter always tried to represent the group. Peter was described later as an ignorant fisherman. How'd you like that to be your, you know, on your resume? Ignorant fisherman. And yet, what do we see God doing with Peter? If you go and you look at Peter's life, Peter would, Peter would deny Jesus. But then Acts chapter one and two and Acts one through 12, God would use Peter to become one of the greatest foundation stones in the early movement of Christianity. How about Andrew? Andrew's the quieter of the two brothers, but he, like Peter, is a fisherman from Capernaum. He, no doubt, grew up with James and John, but Andrew actually was a follower of John the Baptist. You can go and you can find where Andrew finds out that John points to Jesus and says, there's the Messiah. And Andrew ends up following Jesus. It seems in scripture that he was humble. He was quiet, probably a little inconspicuous behind the scenes. Andrew's never really seen in prominence. Something about Andrew that's amazing that I love every time I read about Andrew. Andrew not only saw crowds, but Andrew saw individuals because just about every time you read about a personal interaction of Andrew, you read about him bringing individuals to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Andrew is the reason that Peter came to Christ. It's great stories. James and John. Well, James and John, they're referred to in scripture. Jesus kind of gave them a nickname. It was kind of a sarcastic nickname, called them the sons of thunder. Well, what was he speaking about? Well, if you go and you read about James and John, the sons of thunder, he's talking about their zeal and their... Uh, explosive behavior at times. Remember the story, those of you that know scripture, remember the story when uh, something was going on that John and James didn't approve of and so what did they ask Jesus? Hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? And Jesus is like, whoa, slow your roll, sons of thunder. Lightning and thunder, you guys just wanna strike somebody dead? Hey, calm down. James and John, they, they too were fishermen, but they too were greatly used by God. James, of course, became an early leader in the church. Actually, 
when Herod, in the book of Acts, when Herod was trying to stop the movement of Christianity, he didn't go after Peter. You know who Herod had killed first? James. What's that tell us? That tells us that James was very instrumental in the early church. John, his brother, the youngest of the apostles, today, if you read, you know, like the book of Revelation, hey, God did that through John. John, the one, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, writing about love and apostasy in the end days, that's this John. How about Philip? Philip started as a follower of John the Baptist, just like Andrew, and he too is one that was one of the very first disciples or followers of Jesus. He was a, often in scripture is viewed as skeptical, not too strong in faith. He tended to deal, Philip did, with material things. He had to see it, wanted to hold it with his hands. He was very analytical in scripture and often, often uh, pessimistic and reluctant. But in the end, if you go and study the life of Philip, history would tell us that God would use him to become a, a great preacher of the gospel of Jesus, ultimately giving his life as a martyr and being crucified. How about Bartholomew or Nathaniel in scripture? We don't know a lot about Nathaniel, but here's what Jesus says about Nathaniel. In John chapter number one, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and he says to Nathaniel, or he says of Nathaniel, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. What a good testimony. As Nathaniel approaches Jesus, Jesus says, hey, man, here is a righteous fellow that loves his country and loves his God. We then read about Matthew or Levi. And I did this and this was awesome, but that wasn't Matthew. It shows us his humility. We read next about Thomas. Now, when I say that name, what do you think of? Doubter. Doubting Thomas. How would you like that to be like your uh, description for all of history? That's how we know him as, Doubting Thomas. But there's a lot more to Thomas. He's called Thomas Didymus in scripture. The word Didymus, it means twin. So Thomas had a twin sibling. So Thomas had a twin sibling, probably a twin brother, maybe a twin sister. We don't know. We don't read about that, but we know Thomas Didymus, Thomas the twin. In scripture, he's a very, we know him as a doubter, but really, if you go and you study out Thomas, he was a devoted follower of Jesus who at times showed courage. In uh, um, uh, John chapter number um, 14, Thomas is one that asks a very well thought out question and provokes some thought and discussion from Jesus, this is Thomas Didymus. We have James next. Who is James? Well, in scripture, he's called James the son of Alphaeus or the brother. We see this in, uh, in our passage, going back to it real quick. It says James the son of Alphaeus in verse number 15. James is also known as James the less in scripture. What does that mean? Well, some skeptics or people think that maybe it's he was behind the scenes, so scene-less. Others say that it's because he was small in stature, which I kind of lean to because it's like, you know, you got big James and short James. That's how they described him. I remember that because like my dad was always big Denny and I was little Denny, all growing up, big Denny, little Denny. So you got big John and little John and you got this big James and little James, not little John from Robin Hood, just so you guys know. 
We don't know a lot about this man, James, the son of Alphaeus, but we do know that he was used of the gospel in Persia after everything spread out. History tells us that he would go and preach the gospel to them there. Next, we read about Simon the Zealot. Zealots were those that hated Rome. They were the most proud of the Hebrew people and They were against the Roman government and the Roman bondage. And so the zealots, they were almost almost viewed, and, and we have a skewed vision of this, but they were almost viewed as terrorists. Here's what's interesting. You have Simon the zealot, against Rome and then you have Matthew the Levite or the, uh, the the Matthew or Levi the tax collector representing Rome. I read one guy he said this uh, he said apart from the presence of Christ Simon would have stuck a spear in the back of Matthew. <laughs> Two people who really were enemies and yet at the at Jesus they became friends. Then you have Judas says the brother of James or relation of James, perhaps even the son of a man by by the name of James, not either of the James that we read here. But in scripture, he's actually called also Thaddeus or Labius. Judas is the name he's given at birth. Thaddeus or Labius is a nickname. What do those names mean? Uh, If we were to break it down, they mean mama's boy. That's what Thaddeus or Labius means. So this Judas, he's seen as a gentle, compassionate, sympathetic, tender-hearted mama's boy. It's a good nickname. You can read about him throughout a few stories as well. Then you have Judas Iscariot. And in any list ever given of the apostles in Scripture, you will read Judas Iscariot and the phrase... The one who betrayed him or the traitor. Judas Iscariot, he witnessed all that the others saw. And yet he chose never to believe for himself. Can I just say what a sad testimony Judas Iscariot is? Up close, personal with Jesus and yet never really believed. Can I say that I think often churches today are filled with people that are like Judas They get an up-close picture, amazing uh, experience of what God is and come to church and they give and they are involved, but they never really believe for themselves. Well, Jesus chooses the area of Capernaum. He comes down from the mountain and joining him from all over are people from Judea. That's the southern region, from the town of Jerusalem. But then also there are people from the northern region, Tyre and Sidon, that you can see all the way up there, uh, the, the kind of that northwest part, all the way up there, you can find Tyre and Sidon of the coast right there on the Mediterranean. And all these people, they're gathered around Jesus. And what are they doing? Well, they're bringing those that have diseases coming to Jesus. And they're bringing the demon possessed coming to Jesus. And verse number 19 helps us understand it really well when it says this, the whole multitude, what they do, they sought to touch him. What does that mean? They sought to experience him. Why? Because there went out virtue or miraculous power out of him that healed them all. That's all the introduction. 
the message is the shortest part. But before we get to this, these lessons I want us to get and the theme of the message, I just wanna ask you, can you imagine this? Like, can you imagine being there? Can you imagine being one of the 12? Can you imagine being one of these people coming and seeking Jesus? I mean, if you think about it, when we look at this passage, all of these things are just amazing experiences. But here's the problem. And before we look at our lessons and the theme, real quick, I want us to see this. There are two problems with you and I when we read scripture. Number one, often, We read the Bible and we miss the content. We read that Jesus went and prayed. All right, cool. He came down and chose 12. All right, cool. Who the 12 are? Sweet. People were healed. Awesome. Let's go home. We read the story, but we miss the content. That's our first mistake often when we read scripture. Second mistake is this, and and don't miss this today. Sometimes when we read scripture, we almost believe in two separate Jesuses. What do you mean, pastor? We read these pages and we're like, yeah, that'd be cool. Miracles, awesome, chosen 12, great. That's so cool. But that Jesus is different than the Jesus I serve. Oh, now, subconsciously, we know they're the same, but here's what we do. We read scripture and we think, well, that Jesus was present. He was there in person. He did great miracles. He was awesome. But the Jesus that I serve, well, he's kind of distant. He's kind of isolated from us or our specific need or situation. But here's what we need to say before we learn our lessons today, before we get the theme today. This is the very same God. Hey, you and I today, we don't serve some different Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible and the Jesus, the God of of Abraham and Isaac and Moses and the God of David and the God who chose these 12 apostles and the God who had power that went out from among him that people pursued. Listen, that is the very same Jesus that we are here to worship today. That is the very same Jesus. It is the very same God that you and I follow. And I say all of that to help us understand the theme of the message is this, that when God gets involved, the common becomes uncommon. Hey, that is not only true for people of the Bible, but when God gets involved in your life, your common, my, my, my common life, God says, I will use it to do something extraordinary. And I just have to ask you this morning, do you believe that? Like, do you really believe that? And again, you don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to think, and maybe I'm just speaking to Dennis because I know Dennis Fountain, that sometimes when I read scripture, I look and I'm like, wow, God, you did that for them, but you would never do that for me. God, you worked miraculously for them, but God, I don't don't see you working miraculously for me. And I just want us to understand before we look at our lesson, it is the same God. I want you to repeat these words real quickly. Simple phrase, he is the same God. Five words, ready, go. He is the same God. He's the same God. Theme of the message, when God gets involved, the common becomes uncommon. Four lessons we're gonna do very quickly to learn that. Number one, prayer was important for Jesus, so it should be important to me. 
This is a lesson I just want us to learn. Prayer was important for Jesus, and it should be important for me. We find Jesus in verse number 12 going up to pray. Why would Jesus, who is God, why would he pray? Why would he go up and speak to himself? We don't understand that when we look at it. We do understand it when we look at Jesus' humanity. You see what Jesus was doing? He was giving us an example of recognizing his need for God in his life. I see a few things about Jesus's prayer time. Number one, Jesus spent time in personal prayer. It was Jesus and God alone. It was Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It was them alone, personal time. Why do we mention this? I think that today, often, we put a lot of emphasis on corporate prayer, which I wholeheartedly believe in. That means the church praying together. We put emphasis on praying as a, a family and praying for meals but I know that Dennis Fountain sometimes doesn't put emphasis on personal prayer like I should. Hey, if Jesus was involved in personal prayer, if he needed it, I need it a bajillion times more. He was involved in personal prayer. What do we see secondly? We see secondly, he was involved in extensive prayer. Do you see what it says that he prayed all night? Now, this doesn't mean that you and I need to pray all night, but the idea of having extensive prayer is that Jesus's prayer time, it wasn't just a quick side note. He spent hours in the night. It was important to him. And prayer should be an important part of your life, not just a quick afterthought. I see Jesus was involved in a serious prayer. The word pray and prayer in verse number 12 specifically, they mean to earnestly make prayer or supplication to God. This was Jesus in his humanity earnestly seeking Jesus, seeking God and have, not having a half-hearted, trivial prayer time. You know, I know that in my life, sometimes prayer can become a habit and you don't really even think about what you say. Be honest. You don't need to raise your hand, all right? Just be honest to yourself. You ever like totally zoned out while you're praying and then you zone back in and you're like, I have no clue what I just said. Lord, forgive me, I'm an idiot. You say, Pastor, you, I've, I've, listen, I've done that up here. No knows when it happens, because later she'll be like, your prayer did not make sense. And I'm like, I know, the Lord told me the same thing. Man, I'll come up and I'll pray, you know, and, and as I'm praying, Lord, help our day, help our service, I'm thinking, man, I hope that the temperature's set okay. I hope, and, and my mind gets going on it. Some of you are like, it's too cold in here. It's too cold for somebody, too hot for others. That has nothing to do with the message. I'm sorry I said anything, all right? No, you know what? Our minds can get going on so much and we get going in the morning and what do we do? We get up, we pray and we're praying for the day and, and as we're praying, we're thinking about work and how much time we want off and we need a raise and, and we're not praying we're not really thinking. We're not serious in prayer. Hey, Jesus was involved in serious prayer. Fourth, Jesus was involved in timely prayer. I see this in two ways. Jesus spent time with God personally after a very busy season and before some decisions were gonna be made. What do you mean? Jesus has been involved in ministry. Now he takes a break, goes up, rests, rejuvenates, spend time with God but he spends time praying before he comes back down because as he comes back down in his humanity, Jesus is about to make a very important decision. It's a timely prayer. It's prayer that is refreshing, but also prayer asking for wisdom. Hey God, I'm about to make this decision. What do you want me to make? 
You know what we do? Sometimes prayer is an afterthought in our life. We're like, hey, God, I made up my mind. I'm making this decision, but now I'm coming to you. Would you affirm it? Hey, you know what God wants? Hey, God, I'm here submitted. Before I make this decision, help me know which one to make. It was important to Jesus. My question to you today is how important is prayer in your life? Are you praying? Do you seek him personally? Do you spend serious time with him? Do you go to him for your decisions? You see, listen, because when you and I allow God to be a part of our prayer life, with God, common conversation produces uncommon results. That's what prayer does. When you pray and you actually seek God and you meet with God, hey, the Bible teaches that God steps in and produces uncommon results. Second lesson I see, serious followers start as small followers. Hey, serious followers start as small followers. Where do we see this? The apostles that were chosen, they had nothing promised to them when they followed Jesus. And when they all started, do you know when all the apostles, they all started at the same place, believing that Jesus was the Messiah. That's where their faith started. And then they chose to follow him or to go after him, to become a disciple of him. And then Jesus chose them as apostles. Here's what I see when I look at these men. Up to this point, before, or before Luke chapter six and verse number 13, up to this point, they had not asked for anything special. They had simply believed upon Jesus and chose to follow him. There was no promise of notoriety or fame. As a matter of fact, it was looked down upon that they would follow Jesus. I mean, many of their religious leaders would be saying to them, Peter, you know better. Peter, you know. And many of them would be condemning these men for following Jesus. But here's the point. They did not become apostles overnight. Their apostleship or their apost- the apostles' journey, it began with the small stuff. And here's what I want us to learn with this statement today. While we already understand that apostles are off the scene, God is still looking for serious all-in followers. Unfortunately, what we have in modern day American Christianity is we have superficial followers. Now, not everyone, but we have a lot of people who are casual followers. We have a lot of people who are convenient followers of God. I'll acknowledge I need him if the need is big enough. When I get desperate, then I'll turn to the Lord. But can I tell you this morning that serious followers don't just happen overnight. To be a serious follower, you start like the disciples did in the small decisions. I wanna be a serious follower this week. Do you know what that means? That means that tomorrow I need to wake up and start with a small decision of honoring God with my time, honoring him in my conversation. Oh, those are just small things, but you know what? I am never going to seek God in the big things until I am first learning to follow him in the small things. Serious followers start with the small areas. Following God in the small stuff will lead to following him in the bigger decisions in life. And you know what happens? When you begin to give God the small things, when God is involved, common decisions produce uncommon outcomes. Hey, God takes those little decisions and he produces uncommon or rare outcomes in situations. Lesson number three. 
God is still using common people to point to him. God still uses common people to point to him. We are life, just common people. As a matter of fact, you and I would not have chosen them to be the, the apostles. I mean, think about it. Would you choose somebody who's described as ignorant? Someone with little understanding? Would you choose people with a lot of pride? Would you choose people with no commitment, no faith, no power? You wouldn't. Would you choose a zealot and a tax collector? I wouldn't. But here's what God knew. God knew that he could take these common men and do something uncommon. Mark defines way when Mark talks about the 12 being chosen. He says he ordained or appointed 12 that they should be with him and that they might that he might send them forth to preach. When he appointed the 12, he appointed them that they should be what's the next two words? What do you see it? Look at it. He appointed the 12 that they should be with him. Do you know the common denominator what made these common men used for a glorious purpose? It was spending time with Jesus. In the book of Acts, it actually says this, that before the disciples, the apostles turned the world upside down, people looked at them and recognized that they, had been, they were men that had been with Jesus. What's the simple lesson? Well, the lesson is this, that when God gets involved, common followers become uncommon vessels. When God gets involved, common followers become uncommon vessels. I mean, think about this right now. When our world looks at a Christian, when our world looks at you, all they see is a, a dirt-covered rock. You know what God sees? He sees a diamond. He sees a diamond waiting to be polished and used for his glory. When culture looks at you and I spending a Sunday to, to worship God, and when they look at you as a, as a Christian saying, hey, I just wanna use my life to glorify him, when they look at your conversation and hear you speak and it is something different, you know what they say? They just say, well, that's, that's, just, a, that's just a common individual. And culture says, you're a price tag and I'm just gonna use you, abuse you, and spit you out. But here's what God sees. When God looks at you, he sees an individual worth dying for. He doesn't just see someone common. He, some, he sees someone common that can be used for something extraordinary. When God gets involved in the life of a follower, that follower becomes an uncommon vessel. Lesson number four and last today is Jesus is still the source of miraculous power. And he still works in the lives of those who come to him. I love verse 17 through 19. Because as this story closes, we see people coming to him for all sorts of reasons, all sorts of people, all types of backgrounds, but they're all coming to him for the same reason. Verse 19, to touch him, to experience him. Why? Because they recognize miraculous power flows from this man. As we started the, this portion of the message, we were reminded that we still serve the same God. I want to ask you today, are you seeking God to work miracles in your life or are you just praying for the little things? Now, when I say the little things, you know what we do? We like, yeah, I pray. God bless my food. God protect me today. God help my family. Now, does God care about that stuff? Do we want God to protect us? Yes. And I want that. 
but what's the miracle that you're asking God for? Now, if I'm gonna be honest, Dennis Fountain doesn't sometimes pray for miracles because last time it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. As I was studying for this and God was convicting me about this, like Dennis, they sought him to touch him. They sought to experience him. Why? Because they believed, they had heard that miraculous power goes out from him. Dennis, do you wanna experience God like others have? Do you wanna see a miraculous power? And I say, yes, God, I want that. And then God says, then why don't you ask? And Dennis says, well, I'm just just telling you my story. I say, well, God, it's because a few months ago, my brother-in-law got diagnosed with cancer and three weeks later, he died. And God, I prayed for a miracle there and you didn't come through. You know what God says back to Dennis? Dennis, I didn't come through the way you thought I should have come through. I still came through. God says, I healed him. God says, I used it and I received glory and I'll continue to do that. But Dennis and Dennis's humanity, Dennis says, well, but it's a different God. No, my friend, it is the same God. He still works miracles. What is he looking for? Today, as we close, you know what he's looking for? He's just looking for something common that he can put his signature on. He's looking for a prayer life that's no longer just passive. He's looking for a prayer life that he can be involved in. He's looking for a follower that no longer is just following when it's convenient, but says, God, I'm gonna follow you even in the small things. And then God says, great, now I will take that common follower and I will use an uncommon vessel. God is looking for people that say, God, I recognize that when you get involved, common issues see a miraculous godly power. The fact of the matter this morning is this, that when God gets involved, the common becomes the uncommon. So here's the challenge today. If you know Jesus Christ as your savior, Will you allow God to take your common prayer and create uncommon results? If you know Christ as your savior, will you let God take you as a common follower to create an uncommon vessel? Will you let God take your common issues and bring about a miraculous outcome? It's, to me, it's just simple today to say, God, I wanna believe again in the God of the uncommon. (laughs) 